Morning. Hey, uh, we, we are so glad that you're here. Thanks, Carrie. Don't you love Carrie? He's the best. Um, uh, technology is sometimes a challenge. And I, I just want to let you know, if you're used to being in the North Point app during the message, and today you're saying, wait a second, it's not there, the message is not there, it's because uh, we had a techno glitch this week. Uh, Jake usually puts that in. Uh, Jake's on vacation, and uh, we spent, I don't know, a couple of hours trying to figure out why I couldn't make it work. <laughs> Maybe it's because he's... Some years younger than I am, I don't know. Anyway, we'll try and have that fixed for you, ready to go uh, for next week. Um, we finished the Gospel Fluency series uh, today. If, if you're new, if uh, maybe this is your first time, you're saying, oh, I, I, man, this is weird, I'm walking into a series. Um, this is at the very end, and it will make tons of sense, I think, because the scripture is going to drive what we, what we talk about this morning in a very clear way. The Gospel Fluency series has been all about this idea that it's not enough to know about the gospel. It's not enough to just know about the gospel. The gospel has got to be in us, living in us, living through us, impacting the people around us. We've got to be able to recognize the gospel story wherever we look. And that's why the the kind of something has been uh, speaking the truth of Jesus into the everyday stuff of life. Jesus in every corner of our lives. Because if Jesus isn't in control of all of our lives, he's not really in control, right? If we don't allow him to have access to every aspect of our life, he's not really Lord. He's not really in that place of the center of our hearts and and having uh, control over stuff. Um, If we're not fluent in the gospel, this, this is why this series has been so important. If we're not fluent in the gospel, there will always be breakdowns in communication that happen between us and others. If we're not fluent in, in a particular language, there are always going to be communication challenges and breakdowns that happen. Let me illustrate that for you with a, a story. 1990, I went on my second mission trip. Uh, my, eight, 1989 was my first mission trip. I went to Honduras. And in uh, 1990, I went back to Honduras. Um, we went to visit a missionary there that was in the Marandon Mountains, uh, Montañas, uh, outside San Pedro Sula. And, it, and it, was, uh, it was a cool place. The first year we were there, stayed in the mountains the whole time. The second year we went, and there was a missionary that had bought a house in San Pedro Sula to house girls who lived in the mountains, who grew up in the mountains, that could come into the city to continue their education and go to school. Because in, in the mountains, school stopped at sixth grade. So once you hit 12 years old, you were done with your education in terms of book knowledge. And this missionary said, you know what, if we can create a place where these girls can come and live together um, uh, down in the city, they can continue their education. One of those girls I, re- I, I know, remember, has become a nurse and is a, a nurse in the, in the mountains. Um, but we came, and so we began to help this missionary um, build this house that he, well, the house was built, but it had to be kind of redesigned and that kind of stuff. So we had people working inside, installing ceiling fans, doing stuff so that the girls could live there and, and, um, and be taken care of. 
my job, uh, along with a college student who was a part of our trip, was to help secure the perimeter of the property. If you've ever been in Central America or some in Florida or whatever, lots of houses have walls that go all around the exterior of the property. Most of the time it's eight foot high cement block wall with broken glass into the mortar on top, maybe some barbed wire up there to keep bad guys from coming in. That's what this house was going to have because all it had was just some barbed wire that went around the outside of the yard. Well, there was a problem uh, as we were preparing it in that there was this tree that was uh, right on the, the property line. It was, was going to be in the way of putting in this cement block wall. It was a papaya tree. So Paul and I, our job was to, uh, was to take out this tree. We didn't have a chainsaw. Um, we didn't even have a bow saw. We had a, uh, an axe and a pickaxe to try and take out this papaya tree. And to kind of complicate matters, um, there were, barbed wire had been embedded in this, in this papaya tree. Uh, I think we've got a picture up there um, that uh, you can see us uh, trying to figure out how to get the, the barbed wire out in order to, to take the tree apart. We worked. It was hot. It was a mess. That kind of stuff. We we got most of the tree down. The the uh, the picture on the right. The tree is down. And about this time, a car pulls into the property very fast. Uh, kind of a sports car. This attractive uh, Honduran woman in her twenties and thirties gets out, comes over to Paul and I, and just starts reading us the riot act in Spanish. Um, and uh, and so I'm. Tr- I finally say. Uh, Talk to the missionary, you know, go to, go to the house and have that conversation. So um, she's frustrated. She goes and um, knocks on the door. Missionary comes to the door. And um, what then ensued was this very animated conversation um, between this irate Honduran woman and the missionary about this tree. They're going back and forth, back and forth. I can hear words like gringo, um, <laughs> I went, to, I went to the university in the United States. I hear the word Yale. Uh, I hear her say, these Americanos think they can do anything they want. They come to our country. Um, it, was, it was just going kind of crazy. Finally, this woman stomps off, goes back to her car, and drives out, spits gravel, you know, uh, just still very, very upset. So Paul says to me, that was that was pretty interesting. And I said, yeah. And he said, did you understand what was going on? And I said, well, yeah, I think I got most of it. And Paul said, that's really weird that she went to the university in the U.S. that she went to Yale. And I said, Paul, she didn't go to Yale. And he said, no, I heard her say that. I said, Paul, people who speak Spanish can't say they're J's. His face went white. I said, she wanted to put us in jail. (laughs) Paul's eyes are big. Um, (laughs) Missionary comes out and says, you know what? The trees on the property line, we have the right to take it down. She wasn't uh, wasn't happy because it was on her property too. Um, Didn't didn't talk through that. They were going to have the papayas. It's going to be okay. And so... So we go through this process and are going, oh boy, that's crazy. Whenever you're not fluent in a language, communication breakdown happens, right? Um, 
the fact that Paul thought that she was a well-educated Yale graduate um, rather than um, a different destination for us was uh, kind of interesting in the process. Not being fluent can create um, huge misunderstandings. That's why this series is so important. That's why being fluent in the gospel uh, is so important because it's so easy for people to misunderstand who God is and what God's story is if we can't recognize God's story and tell it. Had some great conversations in between the services of uh, some people in first service who talked about that very issue. How, How do I see the gospel around me? How do I communicate to that to people who have questions? The, the core question really is, what's the gospel? And we've been talking about it for, for nine, ten weeks. But let me just reinforce that again. The gospel, it, it, can be, it can be condensed down really easy to, this, to a story of creation that God created this incredibly wonderful, perfect world that would house his creation in perfect relationship with him. God made this perfect place so that he could have a perfect relationship with us. That's the story of creation. That's who God made us to be. And when sin entered the world, when Adam and Eve made that choice and sin entered the world, it, create this, it created this brokenness in their relationship with God that still impacts us. That fallenness that we still experience in a very real way every day. The separation that we have from God. That longing, that loneliness, that discontent, that terror, all all that wreck. That's all a part of the fall. That's part of the gospel story because the fall helps us understand that we've got to have a redeemer, that we can't fix it on ourselves, by ourselves. We can't fix our relationship with God by just being good. We need a redeemer. And God sent Jesus to earth to become that redeemer. He sent his son to come and, and live here among men and women and to live perfectly And ultimately, as we talked about in communion, to take our sin on himself. He became that redeemer so that our lives could change, so that our relationship with God could change, so that a new creation could take place. The the word that we've talked about a lot is transformation, so that our lives could be transformed, so we wouldn't have to live the way that we've been living. We wouldn't have to have that experience, that brokenness with God, that God would continually remake us because of the gospel. I want to end the series today with a challenge for us, and that's to be ready to talk about the gospel anytime we have the opportunity. Be ready to explain why we live the way that we do. Be ready to explain why we live the way that we do, why we have the hope that we have. Uh, Let me encourage you to take out your Bible. If uh, you don't have your Bible with you, if you use the Bible app, that's great. You can't use the North Point app today. Uh, But uh, turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. If you want to take a Bible out of the pew in front of you and look there, uh, it's on page 1016, um, 1016. 1 Peter 3. And these two verses are really going to be the heart of today's message. Peter writes to the church, um, uh, to Christians that are in the first century. He, he understood at the time that he wrote, that when he wrote this, that this letter was going to be circulated to Christians all over the place. And this is what he said. In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, 
so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Peter tells the church in the first century, be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have. Be ready to explain why your life is different to other people. Um, In the words of Ricky Ricardo, Peter said, you know what? You got some splaining to do. You need to be ready and have that, uh, to be able to describe what, what God has done in you. Uh, when I was a elementary age kiddo, uh, up until the time I was early teens, I was in Boy Scouts. Do you all know the Boy Scout motto? <laughs> be prepared. Hey, uh, be prepared, right? Be prepared is the scout motto. For me, as, a, as an elementary kid, I, I thought, this is great. I've got to be prepared. I'm a Cub Scout. I'm a Weevilo. I'm a Boy Scout. And that meant I needed to have in my pocket uh, my pocket knife. Because every boy needs a pocket knife. You've got to be prepared for anything that could happen. And that pocket knife had a screwdriver. You know, it had all kinds of stuff on it. It meant that in my pocket, I needed to have a waterproof container that had matches in it in case I needed to build a fire. I needed to have close by some rope, and I needed to be able to, to know how to tie knots because you never know when you're going to need ropes and, uh, to be able to tie knots. Yeah, uh, To be prepared, I needed to have a compass in case I ever got lost, right? Be prepared. That's the scout motto. When I was a little bit older, that whole concept of being prepared be, uh, came at a different level. When I was in college, there was a class that we took there uh, with a professor named Sherwood Smith called Gospels. And the Gospels, the life of Jesus, was broken into four semesters. And um, as you, as you, in each semester, there was a different aspect, uh, a different part of Jesus' ministry. And what happened in, in uh, Sherwood Smith's class was that there would be an assignment of Scripture that you were to read in preparation for that particular day. And there was a, a, an assignment in the commentaries that we used to study the Gospels that you were to read as well. You'd come into class, and as, as uh, Carrie mentioned, uh, Mr. Smith would, would be up front, and he'd be looking down his glasses at the attendance roster, and he'd be calling people's names and checking people off. And, uh, uh, and after he had taken attendance, he would say, he would, he would give four names, and he would say, Carrie Bayshore, come on down, Dan Ermitlew. Come on down. Uh, General, come on down. Four people he would call out of the class, and behind him there was an uh, eight-foot table. And you would sit down at the table, and Sherwood would stand down on the floor among the students and ask questions to the four people about the assignment that they had, their reading assignment for that particular day. It was a class in the Gospels, but I'm convinced in retrospect it was maybe uh, the, maybe the thing that was taught more than anything was prayer, um, because you would walk into class and say, please God, please God, please God, don't let him call me today. Um, I mean, literally, you would, you would just see people waiting until after attendance was taken to come into class because they didn't want to go to the table and be asked the questions. Peter says, always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that lies in you. That's the challenge that we have. It's about a lot more than a class assignment. It's about a lot more than, than uh, scouting stuff. It's about being prepared to be able to talk about the work that God is doing in us on a day-by-day basis. Um, you know, if you were to start a new job, 
And you were to go in and, and go to, to somebody who's successful in that business, in that company, and say, hey, could, could you help me? I'm, I'm new. Can you just tell me what I need to do to be successful in this role? It would be the craziest thing in the world if that person said, I, I don't know. I got to where I am by just coming to work each day. I, you know, now I'm CEO. I, you know, I, don't, I don't know how I got here. That would be nonsensical. No. When you go to a person who's been successful, they're going to say, oh, yeah, I can tell you. I did this training. I, I, there were some things that I couldn't control. I was in the right place at the right time for this particular thing. But I did this training. I had these mentors. I went through these experiences. I was faithful in this. And that got me to the place that I am in the company today. Um, when people have questions about the gospel... We're their source to be able to give an answer because they'll see it lived out in us. Abraham Lincoln said, I will prepare and someday my chance will come. That's incredible to me. We have to be intentional in having a ready response so that when people ask, we can close the loop. We can help them understand why it is that we live the way that we do. Um, this past Thursday night, this, this week I was in Houston for some training and um, I got back late on Thursday night about midnight and, and as I'm driving back from the airport and I hit the intersection at, at uh, Herbison and DeWitt, uh, there was no stoplight there. And I thought, that's really weird. Everything was dark. I thought, I don't know that I've been up at this time, driven this place, but I always thought there was light there when I get up in the morning, go play racquetball, it's flashing red light. And then I got looking, and all the power was out. I got home and tried to walk into my house. Uh, Deb was in Cincinnati visiting one of our kids, and I'm trying to navigate our house with no lights. You know what's crazy is we have lots of lamps. We have lots of lamps. But a lamp that's not connected to electricity won't do any good because the loop is disconnected. You follow that? A, a, a lamp that's not connected to power is just a nice decoration. And the nice decoration did not keep me from walking into the wall or walking into the couch Thursday night, right? It didn't do any good. You can see the timeliness of this illustration. Um, we have to have the answers for how we live to close the loop with people to understand who God is. Does that make sense? Well, um, always be ready to give a reason for the hope that we have within us. Je Jeff Vanderstelt said in his book, in the Gospel Fluency book, we need to do more than just be nice. We need to tell them why we live as we do. We need to connect the, the, the lamp to the power. We need to not let it just be a symbol we need to not expect that, oh, I can just live as a follower of Jesus and people will just know who God is. We've got to be ready to give a reason for the hope that lies within us. Our, our vision at North Point, we've talked about for a couple of years, about impacting 50,000 people with the grace of Jesus. Um, two years ago, two and a half years ago, we wrestled with that terminology. I mean, we wrestled and wrestled and, and said, okay, are, are we sharing the grace of Jesus? Are we demonstrating the grace of Jesus? What are we doing? And we landed on the word impact because 
when you impact someone with the grace of Jesus, there's an explanation that happens along with that. Their lives are not just in contact with it, with the grace of Jesus. There is something that says, this is how it makes sense. Um, if, if, you're in a, if you're in a life group or uh, if you have the, the workbook for gospel fluency, there's, a, there's something in this week's message, that, that, this week's work, that, that I think is great. How do we live that out? How do, how do we create that conversation with the people that we know that they ask the questions, uh, why, do you have, why do you have the hope that, that's in you? And what Vanderselt said, and I think that this makes tons of sense, it matches with our vision, is we pick out a characteristic of God, of his nature, and then we live that out in our world. So, so you study through Scripture and say, okay, what's God like? Well, he's righteous, he's holy, he's all these things. How do we live that out? What's that look like? What's it look like for us to live out that God's a redeemer? Well, maybe we redeem a, a, a house or a piece of property that's, that's a mess. Let me just show you what this looks like. We, we have to live out the character of God. In, um, in Psalm 68, it says that God is the father to the fatherless. A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. James 1 says, pure and undefiled religion is this, to visit widows and orphans in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. There's this theme that's in scripture that says that God will be the father to the fatherless. That's the character of God. How do we live that out? A, a very simple step in the next few weeks is that here at North Point, we'll do angel tree. There are children whose moms or dads are in prison this Christmas and we'll have the opportunity to buy uh, to, to take one of those kids and to provide Christmas for them in the name of their parents, in the name of their mom or dad. Now, uh, my, my life group is doing two of those kids. I'm jazzed about that. The, the, the connection in terms of the character of God is to be able to recognize, to be prepared to give the reason for the hope that lies within us so that when we deliver those presents, there will be a question that will come up that say, well, why are you guys doing this? We don't know you. You don't know our dad who's in prison. Why are you doing this? To be able to say, because God has promised that he's the father to the fatherless. He's been a father to me. And so we have a chance to just demonstrate to the, that to you. You've not been forgotten. Your dad, who can't be here, he hasn't forgotten you. And this, these presents that this Christmas demonstrates that. We reflect the character of God, and that provides the opportunity for us uh, to give an explanation for the hope that lies within us. Um, maybe, maybe you want to do more than angel tree. You know, there's, there's an incredible opportunity to serve in the foster care system and to live out in a very practical way what it looks like to be a father to the fatherless. Maybe, maybe you want to do more than that. We have, uh, we have a number of families at North Point who have adopted children, taken kids that were not their own and brought them into their family so that they could be the father to the fatherless for those children. Why do you do that? Because God has promised to be the father to the fatherless. Because he's become my father. Um, you know, maybe, maybe at a different level, maybe at a different level, there's a challenge for us, for we men, to recognize that there are 
um, that there are kids who are practical, uh, who are practically fatherless because of divorce. Their dad's out of the picture. They don't have any contact. Maybe, maybe there's a calling for us to come alongside them, to, to take them to ball games, to incorporate them into our families, to, to, to love them in a way that shows what God's love really looks like. Why do we do that? Why do we take the character of God? Why do we live that out? Why, do, why are we prepared to give that answer? Because eternity hangs in the balance. One, one of the things I struggle with as a speaker is that in our culture where, every, where we're provided with so much stuff that we miss the reality of eternity, that, that we miss how critical that is. Um, eternity hangs in the balance for the people that, that we know and recognize. Um, our ki- Deb and I have six kids. Our oldest is about 35, somewhere in there. Our youngest is 18. And so they grew up in the time frame when tattoos went from only, you know, nasty old sailors had them to now they're a part of our culture. So in our house, we had the conversation that many of you have had as well. Uh, Dad, can I get a tattoo? And my answer was, sure, you can get a tattoo after you turn 18, all right? Because if you're going to permanently make a difference in your body, it's not going to happen until you, you are actually responsible for your body. So after you, get, after you turn 18, you can do that. That'll be fine. Um, so daughter number one, I, I didn't expect it from her, but, uh, you know, don't, never worry about tattoo. Daughter number two. Her, I thought, yeah, she'll probably get one, but never worry about ta- tattoo. Daughter number three, no tattoo. Daughter number four, dad, can I get a tattoo? When you turn 18. Not long after she turned 18, she got her first tattoo. Let me show you a picture of this tattoo. That says Romans 10, 15. Let me read for you what that passage of scripture says. How then can they, t- can they call on the one whom they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? How can anyone preach unless they're sent? As it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. How can you argue with a tattoo like that? If you're going to get a tat, that's not a bad one to get. You know, um, eternity hangs in the balance, and God chooses to use us to deliver the good news. We talk casually sometimes about being the hands and feet of Jesus, but I'm telling you, we are the hands and the feet of Jesus in bringing good news. Um, God We're the conduit that God will use to allow people to see who he is. And we've got to be ready to give a response for the hope that we have within us. The the question that troubles me over and over and over again is, do we really believe that people will go to hell that don't know Jesus? That's not a popular belief in our culture. And yet it's clear in scripture. If that's true, it changes the way that we live. And it steps up the importance of us being able to have that response ready. 
I, I said last week, at the heart of it all is our love for other people. That's got to drive everything. That's got to drive why we have that, 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 um, that hope within us. It's got to drive uh, the reason that we have for that hope within us. Well, when we talk about answering those questions, let me, let me just give you a couple of things as, as we finish up. Um, be wise with how you answer those questions. We need to be ready uh, to, to give a reason for the hope that we have within us, but we need to be wise in how we answer those questions that come up. First uh, Peter 3 says, with gentleness and respect and a clear conscience. When people ask the questions, we have to, we have to recognize that the gospel is not a hammer. The gospel is honey. The gospel in us, God doing his work in us, is designed to draw people to Jesus, to invite them in, not to beat them over the head. Um, Colossians 4 says, Be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. You know that story I told about that mission trip in 1990 in Honduras? Um, I've, I've thought about it a lot over the last uh, almost 30 years, and I still grieve over that incident because I think, you know what? That experience with that woman, we did not season with salt. I'm not sure that we were wise in that process. We were representatives of Christ and it created this crisis and this drama that I, I, I don't think it drew her closer to Jesus. I, I grieve for that. We've got to recognize that we need to live out the gospel in a way that draws people in to Jesus. We need wisdom to do that every day in every circumstance. God, how do I, how do I live out the gospel today? Show me how to do that. You know, you may think, I don't have that kind of wisdom. There is great news. James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. God has promised that he would give us wisdom in how we live, how we act, how we think, as we give the reason for the hope that, was, that is within us. Peter said, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you, to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do it with gentleness and respect. Let me, let me give you just a, a few applications. How do you, how do, you do that? What, what's it look like to do that? I, I want to just encourage you to write out your story. If you've been in a life group, maybe you've done that already multiple times. If you haven't, write out your story. Write out how God has worked in your life so that you can think through, oh man, that's the story of my identity. That's the story of my brokenness. That's the brokenness piece. And then Jesus came into my life change. And this is what's going on now as he, as he reforms me and transforms me. That's my story. Write it out. And then do this. Find a, a friend who's a follower of Jesus and say, can I just talk through my story with you and tell them your story? Let, they'll, they'll ask questions because your story will be compelling. Creation's good. Brokenness stinks, Right? Redemption changes that. And then the transformation piece is that, man, there's all kinds of stuff. They'll, they'll be great. They'll ask all kinds of questions. You can answer those questions. After you've done that with somebody who's a follower of Jesus, I'm giving you an assignment today, all right? Go to somebody who's not a follower of Jesus and say, and say this. You know what? 
my preacher said that I'm supposed to tell my story to somebody, would you listen and see what happens? Just tell them your story and see what questions come out of that. Because next week I'm going to ask every one of you, did you tell your story to someone, all right? That's uh, my Sherwood Smith assignment for you. Um, Not really. Um, One one last concept. Um, If you find that you're offending others um, as you share Jesus, ask the question, is it me or is it the gospel? Jesus said that the gospel would be offensive to people. Don't, Don't miss that. Don't downplay that. More times than not, I think it's us that gets in the way, that we become offensive because we're not ready to give a reason for the hope that we have. We just respond and we, and we miss the mark. Um, let the gospel stand on its own two feet, but pray for wisdom that God could use us. Um, the, the, the most personal application is this. I've, I've said all along, uh, be ready to give a reason for the hope that lies within you. Uh, it may be that as you're here today that you don't have that hope. That you're saying, that's all great. I don't really kind of know who Jesus is and that hope piece I don't really have. Let me just say this. Um, when I'm done here in a minute, I'm going to go back to the prayer room in that corner right back there. And if you want to talk about that, I would love to talk to you about the hope that you can find in Jesus. Um, to be gospel fluent, to be gospel fluent, we need to speak the gospel We need to be the gospel, and we need to live the gospel. That's what this series has been all about. Let's let's pray. God, um, I thank you for the work that you're doing in us and through us. And Lord, I ask right now that you would give me, that you'd give us opportunities this week to live out your character, and that as we do that, that it would create questions and conversations about who you are and about why we live the way that we do. God, um, give us confidence to be bold, to be different than the rest of the world around us. And God, help us to be ready with those answers that come from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. Let's sing.